Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. This morning, we're in Revelation chapter 3, and we looked there last week, but uh, we're going to go a little bit further in cha- chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to talk about this church of the open door. It's uh, the church of Philadelphia. Now, we're not talking about the the Philadelphia, you know, where (coughs) the Liberty Bell is. We're not talking about that one. We're talking about the real thing, the real deal before that. And uh, so we understand uh, that we, as followers of Christ, have been liberated by Christ uh, and to choose to follow him and to walk with him. And for those of us who serve him, we know what it means to be truly liberated, to be uh, freed from our sin, freed from bondage. And we've been freed from so many things, but some have been freed from a lifestyle that really destroyed their health. And others have been freed from things that destroyed their families. But most of us have become freed to walk with Christ to walk with our Savior, the one who loves us and cares for us. And uh, so this morning, let's look together here in, uh, here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to read this morning. It says this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the, keys of, the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Can't get all wrapped up in that part, right? He's saying he's going to do that. Sometimes we say, well, we want people to do that to us. No. Verse 10. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. That hasn't changed. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown To uh, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I, I will also write on them a new name. And then he wraps it up again by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're looking at this church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, right? And it's this, the ancient city of Philadelphia is in a place where the modern town of Alasir is, and neither archaeological work nor the words of classical authors or writers has given a lot more information about the city. It's located on a tributary of the Hermas Valley, Uh, southeast of Sardis. We talked about Sardis last week, and Philadelphia was near a volcanic zone. They were all in that kind of place right there. Uh, The city suffered in that that 17 AD 
uh, earthquake that was mentioned by Pliny, uh, Pliny Diocasius and others just like the city of Sardis. So they were, they were in this area, and we, we find that Strabo, uh, he described Philadelphia as full of earthquakes for the walls never cease being cracked. That reminds me of when I lived in Southern California. And uh, so when we were there, we had, I remember on Easter Sunday, one Sunday, we had come home, we had had services, and I, I came to my house, and I sat in my easy chair, put my feet up, trying to relax for a while, and the house was shaking. Uh, and, and district council was going to be the next day, and, and before I knew it, we got word that some of the guys couldn't come to church because they had, they had a, their house had, had a crack in it about that wide in El Centro. I'm glad we live here now. Uh, back home, right? Back home. And, and so, but you see these kind of things. And so now Tiberius, they're, they're, uh, the Caesar at the time, he, he funds to rebuild Philadelphia and other cities that was damaged. And so Philadelphia says, hey, we're, we're going to give, we're going to do this guy some justice here. So they called their Philadelphia, uh, they called it Neo or New, Neo uh, Caesarea uh, and after him to make him happy. So in this area, they had uh, vineyards that flourished in the volcanic rock near the city or that soil and nothing remains of the numerous temples that once adorned the city uh, that was described by uh, people that used to go there we have writings and stuff and then they see those uh, depictions on coins as well all right enough of that stuff right okay so let, let's move on just a little bit here in revelation we have this speaker that is speaking to John in this open vision. And we, we know who it is, right? We know it's Jesus, the Son of the living God. Uh, and we find he, he says a few things here. He, he, he identifies himself as he who is holy and true. There in verse 7, uh, and which describes the aspects of Jesus' presence among us. And for a congregation like Philly, uh, who is mainly commended, this brings encouragement. How to encourage them that, that the one who is holy and true is right there with them, among them. We want Jesus to be among us. The next thing we see there is that Jesus says he holds the key of David. It really kind of alludes to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20, and this this key signifies the, the power of the keys that were normally held by a king himself unless they were delegated to another person of authority. This morning I, ha I had to have a board member do something for me, right? And so I had to give him my keys, right? I had to give him my keys and thankfully they gave them back to me. And so now I can get in my house. But anyway, or in my car or something like that. And so they, they could pass those along, and the, turn, the use of the name David points to Jesus as Messiah, who alone determines who will participate in his kingdom and who will be turned away. See, the third part of that is, is what Jesus opens, no one can shut, and what he closes, no one can open. You know, that, that, that may relate very well to some of the false claims of some of those people who, 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 were, who were Jews who argued that only they would be saved and not the followers of Jesus, but Jesus would not include them, those who didn't put their faith in him. And the Lord Jesus can open or shut the door of the kingdom of God to anyone. 
And so we're going to look at several parts of this passage. And the the first part of this that we look at is, I've opened a door that no one can shut. There in verse 8, he says, "I, I know your deeds. See, God knows who we are. He knows where we sit. He knows what we do and what we don't do. Uh, He sees when we hang out and all those kind of things. And see, he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He's writing this to that local church, right? He's writing it to the church in Philadelphia. He's not writing it to the city of Philadelphia, right? But he's writing it to those who follow Jesus, who, who kind of put their faith in him. And since Jesus has absolute authority from God the Father, he's opened a door for the Philadelphians that that even their enemies cannot close. Even those who want the worst for them. And and it's possible that those who oppose them tried to discourage them and tell these believers that they were without hope. Uh, It's very well that they, they said something like this, and it goes back to those false claims of certain people in Philadelphia who argued that they were, they were the only ones that could be saved. And, and, but Jesus will not end up, end up including them. They may think this, but Jesus is playing in the vision, the door I opened, no one else can shut. See, as Messiah, he holds the keys. He holds those keys in his hands to be able to unlock or, or to lock the door to the kingdom of God. What, what is this open door? Well, there's different ways that we can look at it. We know he's referring to one primary thing there, but he, he refers to Christ opening the door to his kingdom for those who love, love him. And, and really, that reinforces verse 7 about opening and shutting. So, but we're also reminded that he can open many kinds of doors uh, to those who follow Jesus. He can open those doors that maybe we didn't expect him to do. Uh, and we see God open the door and we can give God thanks. Some of those uh, doors could be like this. He opens a door of opportunity for his churches. At times the Lord has opened doors for us as Topeka first to be able to serve and to minister uh, just like uh, we have, have served in the mission, rescue mission as well. I went to their meeting this week, too, to see some of the things they're doing. It, it's amazing to see what God is doing over there. And, uh, and I know they, they had some stuff on, on TV about on the news about it. But, but the thing is, is, these guys say that they, they have anywhere from 200 to, I think it was 210 uh, people every, every night, Right. Uh, that they that they help and that they they do rehabilitation services and help them to get in places and and it takes some time but of those 200 you know how many uh, children 50 of them 50 of those are children their families there uh, and it's 12 to 14 on average uh, 12 to 14 on average are military uh, veterans and they go through the list and, and all they do in trying to serve and help people in our community that need, need a hand up to be able to assist them so that they can get out of where they had been and into a place that's better for them and, and for themselves and for their families. Other doors he opens, he, uh, he can open a door of declaration to his servants. He, he can open those doors and, and, and speak into our lives or speak through your life. 
Uh, and you, you, you may not even think about it, but it's like, how is the Lord going to speak through my life? You never know who the Lord is going to put in your pathway this week, that he opens that door and the Lord opened it and no one else is going to shut it. So don't shut it. All, walk through that door and allow him to speak through you as he, you encourage other people. He opens the door to follow his will in your life. He has a path for you. He has a path. He has a, he has a purpose for your life. Whether you're 8 or 80, it does not matter. He has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And sometimes that purpose and that plan isn't always easy, right? But he is there with us because he cares for us. He opens the, a, a door of the heart. That's a big one, isn't it? Where he opens our hearts so that we can be open. And like I had said earlier, we can be recentered, right? We can focus ourselves more on him and allow him to be on the throne of our hearts. He opens the door of our heart. He opens the door of admission into the kingdom of God through the terms of salvation. That's more important than anything in our lives. You know, this life that we live on this earth is maybe 70, 80 years, whatever the Lord gives us on this earth. And, uh, you know, that's a short time when you look at the, at the span of eternity. It's a short time. It's a short time. H have you ever had an open door in front of you? You know, uh, uh, an open door really gives us a sense of liberty. You naturally think there, there's, there's a place I can just walk in, right? You can go in there and imagine with me you're in the mall and you're walking along and you see... One of the new shops that's been under construction, you see that and you wait for them to be able to open up the shop. Or maybe you were in downtown this week and got to go uh, through some of the new places they opened up. And, and, and finally, when you see those doors wide open, what do you do? Do you walk by it? Not a lot, a lot of times you're going to walk into it, right? You say, hey, this, this, this free passage, it, it, I can get into this place and see what's happening. What's, what's the new thing that's taking place? Maybe there's something good inside, maybe something transformative, or maybe it tastes good. You know, all those kind of things. It's the same for us today. When God gives us an open door to enter his kingdom, why would we just pass it by? If the Lord gives us an opportunity to serve or to minister, why would we just pass it by? It'd really be crazy. The Lord may give you an open door for a job. He may do that. Or, or you at least have to test the waters to see if that open door is from the Lord or otherwise. And if God has opened it for you, who can shut it? No one. No one can shut that door. God opens the doors before us to bless us and so that we can bless others. And we're blessed to be a blessing, aren't we? Isn't that what some of the promise was to Abraham? He was blessed to be able to bless other people, and it should be that way for us in our lives. We, we, yes, we want to grow in our faith as individuals and as a body. We want to grow in our faith, but it's not just about us as individuals. It's about others as well, right? We have to be able to focus on what God wants to do in other people, and we have to trust Him and allow Him to work through our lives. Each and every one of us. You say, well, yeah, that's great for a pastor. No, no. That's for every person. Uh, it doesn't matter. You're a preacher or no preacher. It doesn't matter. You as a follower of Jesus, we all have a purpose and a plan. Uh, and so God opens those doors for us to be a blessing. And the Lord opened the doors. But he says uh, uh, this next, in this next part to the church of Philadelphia, he says this. Uh, in verse 8 there, he says, you have little power. 
Uh, it's like he's telling me, you, you aren't very strong, and for some that would offend them, right? Especially today, everybody would be defended. Oh, my goodness, why did you say that? And uh, so, sorry about the voice, but anyhow, uh, uh, so, some are offended, and then you have those that finally come down to the point, and they say, they look in the mirror, and then they admit it and agree, yeah, I'm not that strong. Lord, I'm not that strong. And look at what he says here in the passage. He says, I know that you have, you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this may be a small reproof from Jesus. He's kind of correcting him and saying, you know, you don't have very much power. And you may have little strength, a little grace, which, uh, which uh, though it is not proportionate to the door of opportunity which Jesus has opened for you, yet it's true grace and has kept them faithful. They stuck it out to the end. They stuck it out to this point. And even though Jesus accepted little power, we need to be able to strive to grow in grace on a daily basis. We want to continue growing to be strong in faith. And sometimes we weaken over time because we face trials, right? And the trials hit us and then we, we weaken in some ways. But hopefully at some point we grow from those trials and become stronger so that, so that the Lord can work through us even in a more powerful way. We don't want to stay at the same level. Do you want to stay at the same level? Isn't that why this week, and for those that started already last week, isn't that why we're sending kids to school? Could you imagine if you just had your kid and you say, you know what, you are so awesome, you are five years old, I think you have all the knowledge that you will ever need. I think you have all the wisdom that is necessary to run a, a, a multi-level business and so there is no way I'm not sending you to school. We're just going to send you out in the workforce. Now you got to get a job, kid. I, I think that most people would say, you're crazy. What are you doing? And we don't do that. We expect them to grow, right? So we want to augment their education. We want to help them so that they can grow and be stronger. Should be the same for us as an individual, no matter what our age is. We don't want to stay the same as what we were yesterday. We need to grow to that next level where God has us. So true grace and power, although we are weak, will do more than the greatest gifts, for it will enable you to keep God's word and not deny his name. You know, some people come in, they have all the gifts. You know, they're five years old and they have all the, I mean, they are skilled, they're gifted. And that can be true, right? They can be really naturally skilled, naturally gifted. And yet, aside from that, uh, even with all those gifts, and say maybe they get up to 25 and they're really gifted, but that's still secondary to the grace and the power of God that works in our life. And we have to allow the Lord to work in us, and we have to allow Him to continue to finish His work in us. See, we're talking about authentic grace and power, not a, not a show, not sheer willpower. Sometimes we can try to do that and say, we're going to make it happen. No matter what, we're going to make it happen. Well, we can try all we want, we, but we have to allow the Lord to be in, and that's in, in, the, in control of our lives. That's why we have to be recentered. That's why we come back uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, to, to be built up in our faith and to walk close to the Lord. 
we need his grace. It's kind of like that song. Maybe some of you know it. We've sang it here in the past. Uh, uh, this is how I fight my battles. It, you know, it's through, it's through worship and prayer. It's through that engagement in the Lord. And we allow his word to speak into our lives. We, we engage the Lord in, in worship and we praise him and we lift him up. Uh, we, we need to be able to engage him so that we're stronger. I don't, I don't know, I always think about this, Tim the Toolman Taylor, you know, that show from what was it, the 80s and 90s, and, and that guy was so interesting, he, uh, he had some problems. Well, anyhow, he was, it's like he was always taking uh, some kind of tool, and if it ran on 110 volts, he thought, well, 220 volts is better, so he would, he would wire it so it would run more power, and so, you know, he was trying to to try to make this thing do more than it normally would. Well, the fact is, is that the tool was wired with the voltage it was to be able to handle the job that it needed to do. So what would happen with him? Usually the thing would catch on fire or it would blow up or something like that. And that can happen to us in our lives when we try to just sheerly do something by willpower we have to be able to make sure that we rest and relax in the presence of God and let God do the work. Now, there's the other side of that, too. We can't be lazy either. Sometimes we can do that, right? We can flip to the other side and say, well, yeah, that means I can just let God do it all and I don't have to do a thing. Well, no, that's, that's, not, well, that's not right either because we partner with him. We partner in relationship with him as we walk out our faith. So the church in Philadelphia, those guys, they had little power. They weren't a strong church, but they could still make an impact in their world. And they may not have had the strength that they once had, but they had enough to be able to see people's lives changed around them. Were they perfect? No, they weren't the best, but, but they had some strength. They had this, if the Spirit of God resided in them, and He did, otherwise they really wouldn't have been the church, right? So you may not have a lot of power today. You may, you may be glad that you are even able to get out of bed. Maybe you were grateful for that this morning. And so, but, but God has set an open door before you to serve him. And when you walk through that door, do it with the power of God's spirit in your life. Don't let anyone or anything, uh, anything try to tell you otherwise. You can serve him. You can walk with him. And you can finish the race that he has started in your life. The third thing here that we see is, he shows us there kind of in verse 9, the third thing is, is that people will come to respect your faith. When we live out our faith, when we allow Jesus to actually rule our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to, to remain on the throne of our lives, it will cause others to see that there is something different. Now, Philadelphia, it, it, that city was actually founded 140 B.C. Remember, that's the one not here, right? And uh, it's, it's founded there at a junction of the approaches of Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia. It was called the Gateway to the East. It was an important city in that sense. And its, it's founder was Atlas, uh, the second Philadelphius of Pergamum. And it was intended to be a center to, uh, uh, to encourage the Hellenistic or the Greek way of life, kind of a cultural center. They were trying to, to move things that direction, and the city was prosperous. It was partly from this uh, strategic situation that it was in, and partly from the grape industry that was flourishing there with all the volcanic soil. It was a center of worship of the god Dionysus, 
but, but also had other temples. And so we realized there was a lot of false gods there, uh, and the church was evidently small, but, but it was of good, solid quality. And its enemies came from outside, not from inside. You know, we saw some of these other churches, they had some issues inside, but this one wasn't quite the same, and for their, there's no mention of heresy or division or anything like that. It, it had a good deal in common with the, with, uh, the church in Smyrna. And both of them receive no blame, but only praise. But both offer, or both suffered from those who called themselves Jews and were not. Both were persecuted, maybe by the Romans. Uh, we don't know fully, but are, uh, both are assured that the opposition is satanic, and both are promised a crown. When you walk through tough things in your lives, friends, when you face opposition... You have to trust in the Lord no matter what and know that he has a crown waiting there for you if you will continue with him. Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia there in verse 9, look at this, he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall, fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Basically, God is saying, vengeance is mine. Isn't that what he's saying? In so many words, he's saying, vengeance is mine. It's not for you to do. I will take care of those things. I will work on those kind of things. And he loves us. He takes care of us. These words are kind of like those that were told to the church in Smyrna. And he's, he's talking again about the synagogue of Satan, which seems to describe a Jewish group of people that had strongly denied Jesus as Messiah. And they persecuted others who claimed Jesus was the Christ. It's, it's likely that they had received a lot of backlash from these guys. And they, they have some, evidently they have some uh, Roman influence too. For the Apostle John and even Paul, a true Jew was one who found forgiveness and life in the Messiah, Jesus. Because they found something in him, and not a false one. Uh, it's a, it's a, not a false one is one who rejects those who believe in Jesus. They're, they're rejecting their own Messiah, the Savior. The thing is, we, we can't really give them a hard time there because of all kinds of people who've rejected him. Either like I did before I came to faith in Jesus, or like those who chose to be what some called Christian atheists where they have the name of Christian, but they live like God has no impact in their personal lives. We, we need to be those who allow Christ to change us from the inside out. Not just to have the name and, and just say, yeah, I, I'm so-and-so, I follow Jesus, or so-and-so, I'm a Christian. Now, now, these people who thought they were right will learn like Saul now who's Apostle Paul, to respect your faith and will recognize Christ loves them. If you remember Saul in the New Testament, he was one of the main instigators of persecution in the early church. This guy was something. He was, he was uh, all about the Jewish law, and he was well-educated. He was a Pharisee, so he was an insider. He was trained trained by one of the highest rabbis known even today, Gamaliel, and he even watched with, everyone, uh, with everyone's coats at his feet, meaning he was given a sense to have Stephen stoned to death. 
He was there. And if you have to really kind of put this in today's thoughts to be able to understand what's happening. And, 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 but God met Saul. He was a murderer. And Saul put his faith in the very one that he hated, which was Jesus. Saul had received Christ and then changed his name to Paul. And, 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 and I really think that for many, this is hard to stomach because how can God forgive somebody who did such heinous crimes? He led them, right? Isn't that what he was doing? He was leading them? Some don't think much about it because they think, oh, that was something that happened in the Bible. Well, what does that really matter? Back then, it's, it's not too big of a deal. It hap happened in the Bible times. But we, gotta, we have to understand that they, these are real people in real times, not much different than here. The only difference is they didn't have an iPhone in their pocket, right? Really, isn't that the only difference? There, there wasn't a lot of different things there. And so we have to keep that in mind. They just need to turn away from their sin and turn to Christ in faith. And God had mercy on a man who was so mean and evil. There may be those in your neighborhood or at your work who, you, who don't like the way you pray or maybe go to church. Maybe they don't like your morals. And as you, as you pray for them and are faithful, God can turn them around so that they can see the truth. Now we, now we see here, Jesus then says to the church of Philadelphia this. It's the fourth part of this. He says, you kept my word, so I'll keep you from the test. It's verse 10 here. And he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently... I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance. We want to persevere. We want to stick it out. We want to hold on to him and, and follow him. It means that these believers at Philadelphia were enduring even when all the odds were against them in their community. And they had to endure patiently. This is something that we find more challenging today in, post, in the postmodern world where we live. And I'm sure that for even, even for them, the, the people weren't always willing to endure patiently or what, what would be the use of Jesus saying the words that he says here. If you read through the book of Hebrews, we find it in Hebrews, uh, and that you find that the writer is challenging these, these people who, who, who seem to be turning away from their faith in Christ, and he's trying to help them and encourage them and saying, stick it out, uh, get together with other believers and hang out with them so that you're not weakened, so that you become stronger. That's why we come together so we're re-centered, because it's easy to get off of centered. H have you ever driven a car down the highway and all of a sudden, the, the car just starts bouncing a little bit. I saw a truck doing this the other day. He was driving as I was driving on Highway 75, and, and uh, he was driving along, but his whole front axle and his front left tire was just bouncing up, almost off of the ground. Why? Well, uh, his tire was bad. It was bad. I don't know if it was going to blow out or if he just it was out of, seriously out of balance, right? And it was doing that, but, but you take a chance of when that happens of blowing the tire out and then having an accident or something. And, and that's what happens to us when we get unbalanced. That's why we have to be recentered. 
Because if our tire blows, if we lose that tire, we kind of lose control. I remember that happened to me one time when I lived in West Africa. I had a Land Rover, a Land Rover 110, and I was driving about about 60-some miles an hour down the highway that they had there. And it was kind of a, it's kind of a bad highway. It had some pretty big potholes in places, but we were, we, were, we were going pretty fast for there. And all of a sudden, my right left tire blew on the truck, and it was a manual steering vehicle. Uh, going over 60 miles an hour, and I had to hit the brakes. And thank the Lord, no one else was coming because I ended up on the ditch, in the ditch, on the other side of the road. And they drive on the, on the same side as we do there in, in that country. And so was a little scary. Well, at least I had a roll bar. It didn't really matter. Oh, I didn't have seat belts in that truck. <sighs> Times have changed, right? What would have happened, Right? And that's why we have to keep centered. We have to make sure that we stay centered in our lives. Because when we keep centered, when we recenter ourselves, then the Lord can help us to start focus, focusing on the right things. So here, you know, here we're, we're kind of looking at uh, uh, they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't enduring patiently. The pressure got to them. And when the, Lord, when the pressure rises in our lives, we need to release that pressure to the Lord, right? We need to give it back to Him. What happens to us is sometimes we take the pressure on ourselves so much that it causes us to do things that we shouldn't do, right? Maybe we lash out at somebody else or, or, or uh, I don't know, we trip our neighbor. You know, the different things we could do, and it just depends on who you are because everybody has their own habits of how they handle severe stress, right? And so, uh, you know, so you have to be able to recognize and turn that pressure over to the Lord, and that's why we have to be recentered. So we look at another promise from Christ, and these believers will, will be kept from the hour of testing, is what he tells the church in Philadelphia, that the whole world will face. face. Now he's speaking of those who live on the earth, and Jesus, may be, he may be alluding to the great tribulation. Some say that he is, uh, but the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, should be on the screen for you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says, for God did not appoint, appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Whether uh, awake or asleep, euphemism there, whether we're, whether, whether we're alive or if we're dead, uh, we may live together with him. He was speaking concerning end time events there in that part. But even, even in the Old Testament, when God brought Israel out of Egypt through Moses, there were plagues brought on to the Egyptians because of Pharaoh's stubbornness. And, uh, but God, God's people, those who followed the Lord, those who believed were protected from those ten plagues. And God can keep us. He can protect us from those great plagues. But, but you also need to remember that Paul even went through some great difficulty himself. And, and he said that the Lord delivered him out of them all. But even then, he still had the stripes on his back to remember the struggles that he had faced. Jesus says to the church, he says to the church of the open door this in the, la, in the verse 11 here. And, he, and he's kind of telling them, look, you guys got to hold strong. Hold strong. Hold strong on him, right? Hold strong so nobody takes your crown. 
don't let other people take the crown off your head, right? you got to hold strong in him. In verse 11, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Neither Satan nor man can rob you of their crown, uh, of your crown by diverting you from the exclusive loyalty to Jesus. The, the crown usually referred to a garland of flowers that was worn in some kind of worship, but here the Lord connects it to those who follow Jesus. In fact, in other places, our crown is kind of a reward. But we know that we'll throw our crowns at his feet in honor to him. See, Jesus tells these disciples at Philadelphia who had little power to hold on strong. He was exhorting them to follow through to the end with the grace of God in their lives. I don't know if you've ever went to a carnival uh, when you were a kid. I, I know that I did, and one of the, it's one of the many things my parents would tell me uh, to hold. That's back in the day where they, they just sent us off in the carnival, and you just go wherever, you know. You may see, meet some friends. We don't do that really anymore. Uh, but uh, they would say, hold on to your tickets. Don't let go of your tickets. If you do, we're not buying you more because we bought you the allotted amount. Hold on to those things, and then only when it's time, give it to the ticket person, and then you can get on the ride. That's okay, right? And so, so uh, we, we see that the Lord is kind of saying that to us, to hold on strong. Use the strength that we have to hold on to him and to trust him. And we have to be able to release those pains and those difficulties and those troubles to the Lord. Release the pressure and give it to him because he's the one that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He can hold that for us if we're willing to give it to him. Hold on strong. Finally, he says here, Jesus says in verse 12 in these last, last few verses, he says, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You could spend a whole time there talking about the new Jerusalem and all what God will do. What a wonderful thing. But as we wrap this up this morning, we realize that Jesus gives his disciples who have this open door. He gives them a couple promises. And he says, you're going to be something with great strength in God's temple. He said, I'm going to make you a pillar. And so God's going to make some of you a pillar. You say, oh, I don't know how God can use me as a pillar. You know, when, when I think of a pillar, I think of those, uh, and like in, uh, in the Greek-Roman uh, world where they had those humongous pillars, and they would stack them up. They were hewn out of rock, and they would stack them on each other. And they may be 30 feet tall, but they, what can a pillar do? A pillar can hold thousands of pounds and even tons and tons of weight. That's what a pillar does. And you say, God, I don't know how in the world you can use me in my life at this stage. Well, you, he's not finished with you yet. He has not done with you yet. He is still working in your life. And you need to open your heart up to him and allow him to finish the work that he wants to start in you. Because he's already started. 
He started some things. Maybe he's going to do some other things, but you need to allow him to work in your life and to finish those things that he's begun. Remember, he told them earlier that they had little strength, but pillars hold the weight of a whole building. Then finally, he said, I will put God's name on you and the name of the new Jerusalem. He's saying, look, no one, no one can shut the door that I have opened for you. No one can do it. No one can do that. What about you? Do you recognize the open door that God has for you in your life? For some of you, that open door very well may be the Lord saying, I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you like I've never had before. I want to know you better. I want you to know me better. I want you to come closer and allow me to guide your life more than I have in the past. I'm going to be saying, come on, friend. I want you to walk with me, and I want to walk with you. I want to take time with you. He's calling us closer, each and every one of us. For some, he's saying, I've opened a door of opportunity for you, and I want you to walk through that door. And then, he, then he's telling us, you know what? I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to walk through the door with you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fret. You don't have to worry. You just have to trust that I am there with you because I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what God does when he opens a door for us. He's there with us. Keep your hearts open to what he has for you in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't let anyone tell you that you're gonna be shut out. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the one that God things started for you, and he is the one that's going to bring this thing to the end. You, you may feel like, you know what, I'm not there yet. Pastor, I don't even know why you could say that, because the Lord knows you're not there yet. The Lord knows if you have strength or not, and he's willing to walk with you if you're willing to give the pressure to him. Turn the pressure to him and let him work in your life. Let's pray this morning. Father, we look to you this morning and we thank you that you have shed your blood, Jesus, for us on the cross. You have bore our sicknesses, our infirmities, our diseases. You bore our sins and you bore them on the cross so that we could have a hope, so that our, the door to the kingdom of God would be open, so that, Father God, you could work through our lives. Father, help us to not be tripped up by all these other things that people say or, 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 or the things that we, we think in our heads, Father God. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to focus our lives onto you because you are the author. You're the one that puts the thing together. You're the one that gets us going, but you are the one that's going to wrap it up too, Jesus. We offer ourselves to you this morning. Father, I pray for each person here under the sound of my voice and those that are online with us. I pray that, Father God, that you would work in each person's life. Father God, I pray that you would work in each person. You know where they're at in their faith. Father, you know what level that they're at in their faith right now, and I pray that you would help them as you grab them by the hand and you help them as you pick them up to the next place where they need to go. Father, that they don't give up, but they continue pressing on and trusting.